I've already told you about how Advent is adopted from a Latin term meaning coming or arrival. Um, it's certainly become a season of anticipation of the birth of Christ, of God entering our world, um, and also of the second coming as well is often referred to as the Advent. And of course, Christians have celebrated this season with a whole variety of different liturgy. Uh, Laura Key and our children's department, by the way, have put together these beautiful Christmas boxes. You've probably, hopefully most of you have gotten one of those. Uh, for every family to take home is to be used as a tool uh, to celebrate the Advent season. They've done a great job with that. Please make sure you get one of those if you haven't already. So each week is providing for us a special theme to consider. This week is hope. Next week, wave. We'll be talking about love. And then we have joy and peace. It's really hard to oversell the need for hope. Hope is really an intrinsic need for all of us as human beings. Neuroscientist Tali Sherat argues that hope is so essential to our survival, it's hardwired to our brains, arguing that it can be the difference between living a healthier lifestyle versus one that's trapped by despair. Studies show that hopeful college kids get higher GPAs and are more likely to graduate. By the way, did you know the group that suffers more from depression than any other group in the U.S. society? College students. Isn't that interesting? You know, going away to school, it's a, it's a, it's a tough time. We need to be praying for our college students. Secondly, hopeful athletes perform better on the field, uh, cope better with injuries, and have greater mental um, adjustment when situations change. In one study of the elderly, those who had said they felt hopeless were more than twice as likely to die during the study uh, than those who were more hopeful. It's pretty clear that hope is a powerful catalyst. And why Dr. Shane Lopez, the psychologist who is regarded as the world's leading researcher on the topic, claimed that hope isn't an emotion, it's an essential tool for life. Just because it's needed doesn't mean that everyone has it, right? Um, those of you that like movies probably know the name Josh Whedon, a creative and screenwriter producer who has become famous for Toy Story and the Avengers, was interviewed and asked if he had hope that the human race is improving. Whedon said, I think we're actually becoming stupider and more petty. What's going on in this country and many countries is beyond depressing. It's terrifying. Sometimes I have to remember who I'm talking to. I'll say something about how terrible things are and meaningless, and the world is headed toward destruction and war and the apocalypse. And at one point, my daughter says, hey, I'm eight. She doesn't, she doesn't want to hear that stuff. But I can't believe that anybody thinks we're actually going to make it before we destroy the planet. I honestly think it's inevitable. And then he says this, I have no hope. I want to be wrong more than anything. I hate to say it. It's that line from the Lord of the Rings. I give hope to men. I keep none for myself. End quote. Wow. Maybe what we can learn from that 
Because when we look on this flat plane of just humans, hope is in short supply. But if we look to heaven, our eyes are more properly fit to understand hope, to recognize hope. But I'm convinced that there are many people who do not recognize hope. They don't recognize the importance or the foundation of it. Their hope is primarily just on the earth, not in heaven. Uh, preserving the planet, improving politics, body shaping, consumption. None of these are evil, except when they're an idol. Can we recognize hope? I have a pastor friend who had a surgery done to reduce his weight. I won't get into all the specifics, but it was, it was major. He became 100 pounds lighter. He went to a denominational event where he saw friends he had known for years, and they did not recognize him until he explained who it was and what had happened. And some of us have gone to reunions, right? where we're not recognized because of the passage of time has you know, remade our bodies in a version that our younger self does not recognize. Why do people have a hard time recognizing hope? Or even more specifically, the source of hope. There's an odd passage of scripture I want us to look at. I call it odd because it's been a problem for me. Uh, you know, I've preached through some tough books. Uh, Hosea, Hebrews, Revelation would be a tough one. I haven't preached through it yet, just sections. And some Christians will stay away from books like that because they, they just seem to be hard to understand. But when it comes to passages that are difficult for me to comprehend, um, there's, there's a specific passage in the New Testament that it's just hard for me to get my mind around. Um, I don't have a hard time understanding that God split the Red Sea with the help of Moses, or that Jesus walked on the water, or Jesus rose from the dead. But there's a story of a couple disciples. After Jesus rose from the dead, and Jesus starts walking among them, they have been with him, seeing some of his miracles, hearing his teaching. This is just right after the resurrection and they do not recognize him. I mean, that, that just seems so odd to me. He wasn't in a disguise, all right? It's not like they had just met him once and forgot what he looked like. Uh, was it because they could not cognitively apprehend a resurrection they had zero hope of it happening, it just wouldn't compute? Or was it because they had their hopes in a Messiah who was also a military leader who would deliver Israel from Rome? Maybe it was because they lost their contact lenses. I don't know. The Bible really doesn't tell us other than God did not allow them to recognize it. We're just going to have to be good with that. But from God's standpoint, 
He simply did not choose to have Christ revealed at this time. And Luke 24, 16 says this. We're not going to have slides for this, so take some notes. Luke 24, 16. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. We must never deem as unnecessary the power of God in our spiritual understanding. We need him to understand, right? What intrigues me is how the hopes of these two men were misplaced. We read this. This is Luke 24, 21. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. I want to remind you, these two were not atheists. No. These two did not deny the historical presence of Jesus. That was not their problem. They were not people who denied the authority of Scripture like many people do today, who even church people. No. These were men who wished that Jesus would be different. Who wished for Jesus to do something for them that he did not do. And because that didn't happen, they became distraught. On a day when the heavens were celebrating the resurrected Christ and where the the hopes of men have rested, these two men were walking away with regret and sorrow. Instead of great hope, these men were let down, disappointed. And here was Christ right in front of them. And they were blind to the hope that he offered. I recently watched the Beatles documentary by Peter Jackson. Very little commentary uh, with footage of them in the studio making their last album and preparing for their last show. Uh, You might remember that performance on top of a rooftop of a building in London where it, it shows them playing together. It's funny, as you look back now, over 50 years later, and they seem such likable, benign figures. I remember my dad being so upset about them because of their long hair and other things. But uh, especially compared to the, you know, to the rock scene today, they seem so likable. But what struck me is here they were playing a free concert. I've already had their fame, you know, wonderful music, And people were getting upset with them. Giving a free concert on top of a building. The police were coming, trying to shut them down because some business owners had complained that it was interrupting their business. It's it's almost laughable now, right? Um. There was no value to them being the Beatles or being their last concert. That was free, by the way, for all to enjoy. The joy and beauty of their music was taking a backseat to business. It was an interruption to other human interests. Is that not the way Jesus is to us sometimes? 
His call to discipleship, what he's come to do, is a, it's an interruption. This idea of maturity and obedience, I'm not interested in that. I want him to be a genie in a bottle for me, to give me what I want. An even more pointed question derived from the context of our passage with these two followers of Jesus. What expectations do we have about how life is supposed to work that we want Jesus to do that inhibits our hope and our ability to recognize Jesus for who he is? See, I think that's a problem today. What expectations have we picked up along the way that makes our Christian life more one of disappointment than one of expected hope? You would think of all people, Christians would not be fearful the last two years. Christians would be the most unified in the last two years. Has that been the experience? We got Jesus right with us and we don't recognize him. And all that he offers, it seems many are not partaking. For those two disciples, again, they wanted Jesus, the Messiah, to deliver Israel from Rome, to make the nation great again. But Jesus was a failed Messiah in the eyes of these two men, at least at that moment. And when Jesus doesn't heal when we've asked him, he's a failed Messiah to some. When Jesus doesn't put their candidate in office, he's a failed Messiah to others. When Jesus didn't help us to get the mate, that child, that job, he's a failed Messiah. I want you to notice that the faith and the hope of these two men was not because they didn't have proof. It was not because they didn't have facts. These two did not lack for the right apologetic arguments. I'm not saying those are bad. That just wasn't their problem. Listen to them recount the events of the recent hours to Jesus. This is so weird to me. They're telling them about Jesus, and he's right there in front of them. They couldn't recognize him. Telling him about, you know, the resurrection and all that. Listen to this. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. This is out of Luke 24, 21 through 32. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of these who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish ones, slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them all the scriptures uh, of the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village of which they were going. 
He acted as if he was going further, but they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened. and They recognized him. And he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened up to us the scriptures? End quote. Being slow of heart to believe what God has said, as this passage said, makes us foolish and impacts our ability to see clearly to interpret reality. Again, the issue was that they did not believe the scriptures. That's what the passage says. They could not comprehend, understand, appreciate the scriptures that had already spoke to who Christ was and what he was to do. Now they believed that the Bible was true But specifically, they had a hard time holding on to this idea that Jesus was who he said he was going to be and who he is. They did not believe all that because it did not go along with their expectation of a Messiah who would bend to their whims. One of the factors of why they missed the hope in front of them was because they believed they failed to believe the scriptures, what it actually meant for them. I was sharing with a family this week who is facing a really bleak prognosis with cancer. And this is, this is not an unusual conversation for me as a pastor when you talk to people who are facing great, great difficulties. God has not delivered them. God has not healed them, okay? We pray for that. I believe God can do that. But many times we see God not doing that. But they were sitting there praising God, thanking God for his goodness. You know, still very difficult. And I'm amazed that how miraculous it is that people stay faithful to the Lord in the midst of the difficult time. Losing a loved one, um, marriage falling apart, losing a job, a variety of things that, and there are some that give away, they, they say, I'm not following the Lord. He didn't help me. He didn't do what I asked. And yet to me, faith is more about continuing to believe God even when we're disappointed. That's that's like where the rubber meets the road. And I find that to be a lot. You live on earth, you're going to be acquainted with disappointment. Right? It's true for all of us. I don't want to miss those special moments that God has for me in the difficulty. I don't want to be there hearing the noise of the most famous band on the face of the earth and see it as a, you know, nuisance. 
from a free for a free concert. I want to I want to view the world, our circumstances, our view of relationships through God's wisdom in the Bible, so that my my sight is adjusted. The only way I can get 2020 vision is by believing God's wisdom that he puts in this book. It is there we learn that men and women of old have had many trials, just like I've talked about, many grieving moments that God drew toward them. It is there we're challenged to get rid of shallow beliefs about God and see him for who he really is. Our hope during this Christmas season is that none other than Jesus Christ is our hope. The person, the work, the promises of Jesus were encompassed in that baby who was a fulfillment of hundreds of promises made in the Old Testament. And now we're the beneficiaries of the personification of hope. All of my security, all of my future fits within him. And everything that this world has to offer there's nothing wrong with what the world has to offer in and of itself. But everything it has to offer doesn't hold a candle to the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. Because it can truly meet those innate needs that we truly have as human beings. That's the way God has designed us. So perhaps the best way to celebrate that is through communion. And thanking God for letting that come to fruition from a baby to a 30-something on a cross who died on that cross for our sins that we could have the hope of eternal life.